The first trial of the former officers charged in the killing of George Floyd is underway. Police officers are rarely prosecuted in such cases, and the world will be watching. The Minnesota Public Radio newsroom, which has followed this case in detail from the beginning, will bring listeners updates on this monumental trial and the consequences it holds for the city and the country. Listen to In Front of Our Eyes wherever you listen to podcasts. So, so what are you getting ready to do? You said you were going to go stand out there. What, what's your yeah, routine? Well, well, what I do when I come here now, I just stand here and people will stop by sometimes and ask about my gun class. Or I check my messages and they, uh, I just took like three messages off and I call people back about the gun class. Or people will come in and ask a legal question because the other side is about job discrimination, Title Seven. So I get some of everything. And some people will just walk by and they'll just say hi, hold a conversation. This is 74 Seconds. I'm Tracy Mumford, and this is Lucky. Uh, Well, my name is Lucky Rosenblum, and I'm president of the Minnesota Black Republican Coalition. So I've always been about gun rights, people's rights to protect yourselves, because that's what we believe in. We believe everybody has a right to protect yourself. I met up with Lucky at his office in a small garage right on the edge of Interstate 94 in St. Paul. It's in the heart of Rondo, the historic Black neighborhood that was gutted when that interstate was built in the 1960s. Lucky's family was there when it happened. Rondo is also the same neighborhood where Philando Castile grew up. While there aren't exactly state records kept on this, Lucky believes he is the only Black firearms instructor in the entire state of Minnesota. So when the law was passed, one of the first things I decided to do was become certified in Minnesota to be able to teach this class in my community so that people who can legally carry a gun, have a right to carry a gun under the Constitution, can carry a firearm. And the law that Lucky is talking about is the Minnesota Personal Protection Act. It means that anyone who applies and meets the criteria, being 21, taking basic firearms training, having no felonies, things like that, must be granted a permit to carry a firearm. Lucky teaches those classes. His students are primarily Black. I do it for Black people because we defy who history say we are. I tell Black people in my class, for every Black person sitting here right now, once you get your permit to carry, we are defying post-slavery. We are defying post-Reconstruction. We are defying history telling us what we cannot do. When Lucky heard the news last summer about Philando Castile, a black man with a permit to carry, shot by an officer after declaring he had a gun, Lucky told me he shook his head. I thought right away, if he had not said that, he would be alive today. Let me tell you why. When you tell a police officer you have a gun, let me be clear. There's a difference between a black man saying to an officer, you have a gun, and a white man saying to an officer, you have a gun. It's okay in America, for some reason, for everyone to have a gun to protect themselves unless you're a black man. There's this fear about a black man with a gun. I advise my students in my class, never, ever volunteer to the police officer that you have a gun. So when a police officer pull you over, I'm not going to say to the police officer the moment he walks up to my window, by the way, officer, you know I have a gun. I'm not going to do that. To be very clear, Minnesota's law does not require people to disclose their firearms or their permits to police. 
unless they are directly asked. And this leaves gun owners in this gray area, to tell or not to tell. There is no consensus from firearms trainers or gun owners, black or white, about how to handle being stopped by police while carrying. Do you say you have a gun in the vehicle? Should you say firearm instead of gun? Do you say you have a permit before you say you have a firearm? Should you declare your firearm right when the officer approaches? Or should you wait? Should you not say anything at all? Any answers to any of those questions is perfectly legal. But for Black gun owners, their answers can feel like a life-or-death decision. The death of Philando Castile reinforced this. I have my permit to carry. I am carrying my firearm. I'm Black male. And that just, the whole situation just seems tragic to me. Somebody actually obeying the laws and doing what he's supposed to do. He has a job. He gets his permit to carry. He notifies the officer that he has a firearm in a vehicle. He has his permit to carry and still is gunned down. And they sent that officer home with, with pay. What other country would that happen in? That's Yurik Rutherford talking with us last summer. He was standing outside the governor's mansion at 3.30 in the morning, just hours after Philando Castile had been shot. Crowds were gathering, protesting, playing music, waking up the neighborhood. As a black gun owner, Yurik said, with a five-year-old daughter, this case had just hit too close to home. It's, it's, getting, it's, get, it's getting to the point where I can't trust my police officers and I can't trust my legal system, you know. It's getting to the point where I'm looked at as, and I'm saying I am because I'm a black male, looked at as a violent person just because of the color of my skin. Doesn't, it, it's not justice. Last summer, Yurik didn't think that there would be charges. Neither did a lot of people. But as we know, Officer Geronimo Yanez was charged. And so we invited Yurik to come in when the trial started, the trial that he didn't think would ever happen. We wanted to talk to him about the realities of being a Black gun owner, what we heard Lucky Rosenblum talking about at the top of this episode. Because as complicated as the Philando Castile case is, at its heart, it's an issue of gun rights, and that has gotten lost in some of the conversations. I asked Yurik first about that night at the mansion. And so had you been out to other demonstrations about police shootings before? No. No, I thought that uh, I looked at uh, like all the highway blockades and everything that everybody was doing. I thought that was the craziest thing. That doesn't solve anything blocking traffic. But, you know, after being at the governor's mansion, I kind of realized that, hey, you know, they're just they're just expressing themselves. And sometimes it's not you have to express yourself and sometimes you have to pick the unpopular uh, way, you know, and that's all people were doing. And I asked him the big question. What does he do when he gets pulled over? I've been pulled over in a, several times before with, you know, with my firearm on me. And, you know, first thing I do is hands at 10 and 2 if I'm driving. You know, if I'm not, my hands straighten my um, lap. And, hey, I let the officer know up front I do have a firearm in the vehicle. You know, it's not for their safety. It's for mine. So I don't get, you know if they do see the handle of the firearm protruding out of my shirt or something like that, I don't get shot. So it's my safety 110% letting them know that there is a firearm in the vehicle. 
And to see that he did that and it still went totally the wrong way, that hurts. Knowing that you're just using your rights that the government allows you to have. And it ended up that tragic, you know? Before Philando Castile was shot, Yurik was one of those gun owners who would immediately disclose that he had his weapon on him, for his own safety, he said. Even though one night doing that landed him in the back of a police car. It was two years ago, late at night, he was helping a friend move. They were parked in North Minneapolis with a car filled with stuff. And a cop car pulled right in front of me. And he shined his light, Minneapolis Police Department, shined his light right through my front windshield so I couldn't really see anything. At the time when the cops walked up to the vehicle, I notified him, hey, I just want to let you know, I do have a firearm. I do have the gun in the car. I do have a permit to carry. At that time, he started yelling at me, uh, swearing at me, telling me to shut up. Where's the gun? Where's the gun? Get out of the effing car. And I, I just let him know, hey, let me know what you want me to do and I'll do it. Yurik said at this point he was handcuffed and put in the back of a police car for 20 to 30 minutes while they searched his car. Uh, they came back to the vehicle. Both officers got in with my firearm. Uh, they ended up running my permit to carry. And then nothing came up negative on my permit to carry. You know, it was all valid. And then the officer turns around and to me, as I'm still handcuffed in the back of his vehicle, and said, yeah, you just have to understand why I had to do that. No, I don't. I, I really don't understand why you had to do that. Where's that justice? What did I do wrong? Who did I assault? And the thing about it is, like I said, you know, a lot of common American views in this world today, you know, has the African-American man looking very dangerous. You know, they don't see uh, at the time <laughs> I was head of loss prevention for Burlington Coat Factory. They don't see a, a, a working class man. You know, they don't see a father of two kids. They didn't see that I'm married, you know. They just saw that I had a gun and there was something wrong with that. And I don't understand what's wrong with that. I reached out to the Minneapolis Police Department, and they had no files under Yurik Rutherford's name about this. They said it was impossible to comment without the exact location and date of the incident two years ago or the name of the officers in question. So... Even after this incident, getting put in the back of the police car, Yurik kept telling officers he was carrying. And even after Philando Castile was killed, he kept telling officers he was carrying. But he said he found himself really watching those officers. Have you been pulled over since this happened? Yes. Yes. And is this case going through your mind when it happens? Like, has, is this something that you had to think about in the last year? Every time I'm pulled over... Every time, I mean, I make it, I make it very transparent that I do have a firearm on me. I make it very transparent that I'll do whatever you need me to do. Just let me know what you need me to do at this time, because you know, more so for my kids' safety, because I don't know what that officer had for breakfast this morning. I don't know if his wife is upset with him or his kids aren't doing whatever situation is going on in his life at the time will jeopardize my life at that time. And I don't know what's going on in his life. We talked about the trial, which was still unfolding when we met. 
Just like last summer, when he thought there would never be charges, he was sure the verdict would be not guilty. I'm happy to see that people say it's wrong now. But you have to also understand, unless he's convicted, unless somebody says, okay, he's wrong, and unless somebody says, okay, he's wrong because I see the fact that they put him in court as a publicity show. On the day of the verdict, just after the news broke, Yurik texted me. It said, see, exactly what I said, not guilty on all charges. So I asked him to come back in and tell me how the news was sitting with him. So you're driving home on Friday, you're hearing the news on the radio in your car, and do you have your gun with you at that point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my gun's usually in my car. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Like, what goes through your head at that point? Like, do you have any thoughts about, do you want to keep carrying your gun? Do you ever question that with this happening? Yeah. All the time. Um I do want to keep carrying my gun. My first thought I kind of knew what the verdict was going to be from the beginning, you know? Um, I knew that they were going to say that he was not guilty. I thought they were going to play it out for a lot longer than they did. But I knew that they were going to say he was not guilty. Um, one of the main reasons I knew he, they were going to say he was not guilty is, you know, you you kind of have to look at society as a whole and, you know, what what's your life's worth, you know? Uh, right now, my life isn't worth that much. And, you know, I tell myself, I tell myself a lot, you know, the reason I carry a gun is for my protection and protection for me and my family. Um, and that becomes in question now because I see what my life is worth. I mean, as a black male in, in St. Paul, it's not worth nearly as much as a police officer's life. This is a question to carry or not to carry that we've heard before in the story of Philando Castile. It was a question that Philando Castile and his sister, Alizé, talked about on his last afternoon alive. Would police see a gun and shoot and ask questions later? It's something Yurik is still struggling with, but the verdict did change his mind on one thing. Will I ever tell a cop if I'm if, if not asked, do I have a firearm? Hell no. <laughs> Do I have a firearm? I mean, if he asks me, I will be law-abiding and honest, and I'll follow the rules of Minnesota the way that they put forth and so on and so forth. But if he doesn't ask, I will never say a word because now we see what happens when we do say something. Now, if we're going to be talking about gun rights and the realities of being a gun owner, there is something else that we need to talk about when it comes to Philando Castile. You would think that one group, one powerful group in America would say something about this. This is one group that you would expect to be losing their goddamn minds about this, the NRA. 
That's Trevor Noah, host of The Daily Show, asking the same question many people were asking in the last year. Will the National Rifle Association weigh in? The NRA did make a statement last July, on July 8th, and this is what they said. As the nation's largest and oldest civil rights organization, the NRA proudly supports the right of law-abiding Americans to carry firearms for defense of themselves and others, regardless of race, religion, or sexual orientation. The reports from Minnesota are troubling and must be thoroughly investigated. In the meantime, it's important for the NRA not to comment while the investigation is ongoing. Rest assured the NRA will have more to say once all the facts are known. That's CNN anchor Christy Paul reading the NRA's statement from last summer. That was the only statement from the gun rights group for a whole year. The NRA did not respond to numerous requests we made for comment. They made no public statement after the trial or after the release of the dash cam footage. They made no statement at all until this weekend, when Paul hosted Dana Lash, an NRA spokesperson, and Tamika Mallory, a co-organizer for the Women's March, for a discussion on air. Dana, the facts are now known. The case is over. Why haven't we heard from the NRA yet? Dana Lash had this to say. I've actually spoken out on this quite a bit. I think it's absolutely awful. I think it's completely unfortunate. And I don't agree with every single decision that comes out from courtrooms of America. There are a lot of variables in this particular case, and there were a lot of of things that I wish would have been done differently. Do I believe that Philando Castile deserved to lose his life over a stop? I absolutely do not. And Paul pushed Lash on whether that was her statement or the NRA's. Are you saying that you are speaking for the NRA right now? Yes, I, I'm an NRA spokesperson. That's why I'm here. You're speaking right. for the NRA, and, and what you are saying this morning is uh, a, a, a formal statement on their part. It's a is terrible that tragedy that could have been avoided. Even this, this short, unplanned statement made a year later on a morning talk show, was more than Yurik Rutherford ever expected from the NRA when I asked him about it. Typically, the NRA, you know, does come out no, no. For gun owners, no, no, but in no, this no, case. No, 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 no. I'm a member of NRA. I'm a proud member of NRA. I love my rifles. Um, I, I, I'm a proud, proud, proud member of NRA. But the gun owners in this country mostly are Caucasian. That's their people. That's their base. That's who they represent. Unfortunately, it didn't happen to a Caucasian person to make more of an outcry, more of an outrage. So I didn't expect them to say anything in the first place. Does that disappoint you, though, as an NRA member? No, I knew that. That was, <laughs> I mean, you kind of you understand who it appeals to when you're getting involved with it, you know? That, he said, was one of the realities of being a Black gun owner. Seventy Four Seconds team is John Collins, Reham Fashir, Hans Buto, and me, Tracy Mumford. Our editor is Meg Martin. Special thanks to Tom Sheck, Cameron Wiley, and Mark Sanchez. Seventy Four Seconds is a production of NPR News and American Public Media.
is Tracy from 74 Seconds, and we wanted to let you know that our colleagues at APM Reports just launched the new season of their award-winning podcast, In the Dark. In this second season, they explore a new story with life-or-death consequences. It's the case of four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi, and the story of why a black man on death row has been tried six times for those murders. You can listen and subscribe to In the Dark on Apple Podcasts.